Hello, welcome to the Monster Test. This is John. It's Fadi. What's going on? Happy New Year, everyone. So, Marjorie Taylor Greene. We started the New Year out with her being kicked off of Twitter and either kicked off of Facebook or serving a great suspension. What was your reaction when you saw when you got the news that she's been she's put in the been put in the penalty box? You know, it's, today we're recording this on January 8th, which is the one-year anniversary of Trump getting uh, uh, bans from everything. So it was a great one-year anniversary gift to kind of have Marjorie kind of follow him out the door. This is where this is going. I think the response from the right has been, uh, well, let's boycott all these platforms. And our response to that is, cool, yeah, go ahead and do that. Please delete all your accounts. It's fine by me. Um, the problem with the Republicans is they want – the rules to apply to everyone but them. They want everyone to follow rules that they don't want to follow. Twitter has nothing to do with your First Amendment, right? You have the right to maybe sign up for Twitter, but you have to follow. As soon as you click that box that you do not read, as soon as you click the term and the conditions, we know that you are in their playground. It has nothing to do with the First Amendment. It's not your God-given freedom to have a Twitter account. They, ha- It's the private business. The same way you wanted that Indiana couple not to serve... Uh, that gay wedding. I this was during the Obama administration, where that where that bakery didn't want to serve the gay couple a, a wedding cake. If we have to shut up and take that, which is discriminatory as well, then you could you could get banned from Twitter. It's, it has nothing to do with your First Amendment right. So I was happy. We have to do more of this, John. Deplatforming works. The the country is in a better place because Trump is off Twitter. I know that for sure. So we have to continue to do this with everybody else that yeah, deserves well- it. Obviously. And, and but one of the things though too is I think one of the worst arguments that they're making is you know she's being denied her voice. No, first and foremost, as you and I both know, all members of Congress are allowed have two accounts. They have their political account slash personal, and they have their official, which is something that comes with the office. And that account for her is still open. So if she needs to reach the constituents of her her district of the state of Georgia, of the entire country, the entire world, she can still utilize that official account uh, and as long as she's colors within the lines. And I guess the other question I would have, too, is she hasn't had that other account um, uh, suspended. So how is it that she's able to color between the lines on that account and not color between the lines? So she's sitting here playing victim. And the other thing is they're saying, she's saying, I'm being silenced. She's saying I'm being silenced on Fox News, on a so many platforms with large audiences. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a load of crap. Yeah. If, if Marjorie was outside of her bar in Georgia, spewing, spewing anti-vax stuff. And I just said, Hey, shut up and walk away. Or if I turn the volume down, that's not being silent just because I choose not to listen to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with your point. Um, The other point is I worry that, because we're so used to, we talk about uh, the internet as a right now, right? Everyone has a right to the internet. If all the, the citywide uh, business, your city, like in Chicago, we have to do the city sticker and the window sticker and all that stuff is now online, especially in a pandemic. We have the right to internet. We have the right to access these things. Twitter is not part of that. Twitter is just a private company with its own rules and its own uh, set of guidelines that you have to follow. You make a good point about our official account. Everybody forgets that the POTUS 45, the Trump official account, is still active. He can't tweet from it because it's archived and because he's no longer the president. So they archive it on their end, uh, which will the same thing happen with Barack and the same thing happened with with it will happen with Biden eventually. Right. So that that wasn't silenced at all. And there was a lot of hatred kind of on that account as well. So, look, these guys are they need coal for the fire they need they need to keep this fire going for the midterms they're going to campaign on this stuff and that's we have to see through kind of that smoke screen that they're doing right now and you know it's something i talked about with trump and i don't know you know you i'm not sure if you're wired this way i'm wired this way i can't i don't know what it was but a while back i would say at least two years ago maybe three years ago i did something on twitter and i had my account locked for 12 hours and I was angry, but I was also embarrassed. I'm saying to myself, I'm a grown-ass adult, and here I am conducting myself in a manner in which the moderators, the people who control this forum, deem my conduct in a manner that it was worthy of, of locking me out of my account for 12 hours. And I don't know, at 53 years old, you know, 
at the time was probably 50 or even 49. It's embarrassing. And I would think if you're a member of Congress, if you're a president of the United States, if you're conducting yourself in a manner in which you are being punished like that, shouldn't there be some shame or embarrassment, you know, uh, attached to it? Or am I am I weird in that regard? No, I think you're right. If you're an elected official, for sure, especially someone who's supposed to represent people, right? Margie should be some sort of embarrassed that her actions, uh, which deemed were uh, harmful, uh, got her banned. I will say something, though, something that... I think we disagree. Maybe our age is showing here. I also got locked out for 12 hours after sending multiple choicely words to Ivanka Trump during the heyday of the Trump administration. And I was locked out for 12 hours. Now, I will say I was not shameful. I definitely was proud of that. It took it as a badge of honor. But I will say that that's what they're doing. Margie's going to look at this like a badge of honor and campaign on it. So maybe, uh, maybe I should feel a little bit embarrassed. But maybe that's just my age. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I have had a number of exchanges, and I do think that the best part of it, I think mine was, was I think mine was friendly fire. I think I was going after the far left or something in, in that regard, if I'm if I correctly. Um, but I say it all to say that, yeah, I, I, I conduct myself sometimes in a manner on Twitter that I probably, you know, would not want others to see, my parents, or my, you know, people I work with, you know. Um, <laughs> but whenever I do, I, I I have a sense like not shame, but like you know that wasn't my best day. Maybe 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 <laughs> I need to do, maybe I need to be a better person. Maybe I need to do better. And I'm just saying, if you're a member of Congress, if you're a president of the United States, and think about the authority that you have, think about everything else. And if you're conducting yourself in a manner in which you're getting locked out, but again, Margie's also what closing in on. I've heard it could be as high as a hundred thousand dollars in fines for not wearing a mask. So we are dealing with people who have no shame. Yeah. You know, Michelle famously said, when they go low, we go high. Sometimes I want to go low. Sometimes I do go low. We try to play in their little field for, for a little bit, but no, I, I totally agree with you. This is stuff that um we should treat it. Like the way I look at it now is if I don't, if I wouldn't say this in this person's face, I probably shouldn't tweet it. And so that's my general kind of rule when it goes to Twitter. Those things to Ivanka, I probably would say. So <laughs> I won't go that far. <laughs> but um, that's the general rule I have for Twitter now. If I, I, I'm not brave enough to kind of say it with my chest in front of them. I probably should chill on, on, on with my Twitter fingers. Well, you know, we kind of buried the lead here. And the lead is this was this past week was the anniversary, the one year anniversary of January 6th. And I have lots of feelings, lots of thoughts on it. And I think the one thing that um, is there's some people on the right who are upset when it gets compared to 9-11, when it gets compared to Pearl Harbor. But the defense of that comparison is even the Confederates never entered the Capitol. Uh, Osama bin Laden never breached the capital. The Japanese never breached the capital. And just because something failed uh, doesn't mean that it it wasn't hugely significant. And, you know, I do think that 50, 60 years from now, 100 years from now, this will be on par with those things. And I think the thing that really upsets the people uh, when we make that comparison is they realize that we're not talking about bin Laden. We're not talking about Al-Qaeda. We're not talking about the Japanese. We are talking about there's terrorists or insurrectionists, whatever you want to call it, and they are the people, they are Americans. They're people who live in this country. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna take your thing and run with it. You don't have to stand by it, but I will say this. And talking to our friend of the pod, obviously, Brendan, last couple of weeks, the historian who kind of put it into perspective, I personally think what happened on January 6th is worse than 9-11 in Pearl Harbor. Now, obviously, there was a lot more lives lost on 9-11 in Pearl Harbor. So I don't want to I don't want to lay any kind of soft light on that. That's very serious. And we should take that serious. One thousand percent. Not only that, but 9-11 led to two wars that that led to a lot of people being lost on both sides. Right. So I, I don't want to take light of that. But I, but. 9-11 was an outsider attacking our nation that un unified us as a country. We were probably the, 
<clears throat> last time we were as unified was the day after the day of or the day after 9-11 where we all were Americans, right? And we all were proud of that American flag and we all were saying I remember when Sammy Sosa hit a home run and, and went across with the American flag in his hand. I remember George Bush throwing out the first pitch. I remember Joe Torre in the like I remember that stuff, right? But in, in Pearl Harbor, obviously I wasn't alive, but another thing, an outsider attacking our country that unified the country and we rallied behind. This was our own country, right? This was a, a, a fraction of this country, the sitting president, white nationalists, Proud Boys, all these right-wing extremist groups from within who are attacking its own country, right? So 9-11 and Pearl Harbor and Benghazi, whatever you want to call it, were outsiders trying to attack us. January 6th was our own people attacking us, right? So in that, attacking the fabric of our country, attacking the Constitution, threatening to hang the Vice President of the United States, threatening to kill the Speaker of the House, that stuff is way more uh, uh, damaging, I think, in the long term than, than 9-11 or Pearl Harbor. So I am glad, I saw a lot of uh, reaction this week. I'm glad that, I think the majority of the country looks at it that way. I think the majority of the country Will remembers where they were that day, remembers the footage, remembers watching that stuff. Um, so I'm glad we took it as serious as we have, because I think it is serious. And, you know, one of the things, to your point, and this is going to go back for now five years, um, I think I've, I may have said this on the pod, I may not have said this on the pod, but I taught, I taught on 9-11, and I taught the day after 9-11, and I also taught the day after Trump won his election. And kids were more traumatized the day after Trump won his election than they were on 9-11. And I do think it was the sense of betrayal. And when you now fast forward to January 6th, it's like the bookend or the end of that chapter, although the book's not over. It's like the end of the, you know, to, to what happened in November of 2016. And it was as bad. As, you know, the tears that my students cried in November of 2016, everything that happened during the Trump administration said that those tears were right. They were real. They, you know, they weren't overreacting, what have you. Everything that's happened. And when we think about January 6th, what it did is it reminded us. And if we look now, even a year later, when you look at the poll numbers about the number of people who think that it's okay to you know, have an armed insurrection against government when you think about the people who believe the big lie. Um, and, you know, Biden's in and, and, and the Dems are in charge and we, we might hold on to this. But you hear people basically talking about the next midterm election like it's it's the last chance to save democracy. When have you ever heard of a, a midterm election talked about in that manner? And some of it may be hyperbole. I hope it is. But given all that's going on in this country, I can't necessarily think it's not hyperbole. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. 9-11 uh, affects us to this day in a much more different way than we think, right? Uh, the Patriot Act or the taking your shoes off at the airports, stuff like that. But it doesn't really affect, I think, um, our psyche. I think we're not necessarily walking around thinking that this will happen every single day. But January 6th is a much bigger problem, right? We saw what happened in Chicago today with, a, with, with there's a lot of white nationalists and white uh, right-wing extremism that are taken to the streets saying, no, this is our country and we're going to take it back. And that's what you were saying about the midterms is this idea that January 6th is a pivot point for them. If they could continue to run with stealing back power our country's going to be completely different. 9-11 was unifying. We all came together. We said, okay, we have an enemy here and we're going to proceed. But now it's saying 35% of the country is saying, hey, we are going to take this back whether you like it or not. And it's up to us to kind of see where we're going to. That's why we're all so anxious. We see the tweets against Merrick Garland and we see like the do something Twitter that's saying, hey guys, there's a ticking clock here. You got about a year left before things get really, really serious. So and that's why I'm encouraging to see the January 6th commission with the progress it's made so far, hoping that it leads to um, um, them uh, suggesting or recommending charges, if you will. But here's one thing, though, that I will say. I'll push back a little bit. I do agree with you that 
January, you know, November, I'm sorry, Jan, uh, 9-11, you know, impacted us a certain way, and but it, it was a different feeling. But here's the difference between 9-11 and January 6th, and even November of 2016, which is where January 6th got its start. Mm-hmm. The, in 9-11, we were taken off our shoes in airports. You know, you could no longer, remember, we, I, I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember, you could actually meet your loved ones at the gate. You can't do that yeah. now. Whatever the threat was on 9-11, we were very vigilant in how to deal with it. The threat that came of January 6th, I'm aware of it, you're aware of it, a lot of people are aware of it, but as a nation, we are we might need to take very drastic measures. Not, I mean, from a security standpoint, I mean, you know how I feel about guns and all this other stuff, but at least at the ballot box, at least some of the stuff they're trying to do, but... No one is assigning the urgency and the rigidness to the, the, the things that we needed to do in the wake of 9-11. We, it's different, but the urgency is still the same. And I think that's maybe, you know, one, we talked about the fact that we were unified. We're not unified. But two, even the people, even many people who know uh, the danger, they're not placing on it the same priority they placed upon making us take off our shoes before we got on the plane. That's racism, John. And the reason I say that is because what happened after 9-11 was they came after Muslims and Arab people. They they sought a common enemy and they said, hey, see something, say something. All those signs went up on the CTAs and the planes saying, all right, you see somebody with a backpack, you see somebody leave a backpack, do something, right? Say something. And how do you be vigilant with your neighbors, right? How do you be vigilant? We saw a lot of January 6th people get turned in by their own family members at Thanksgiving and Christmas. But how do you look to your neighbor and be like, who believes in January 6th, who says we should stop the steal? How do you report that? How do you go to the DOJ and be like, hey, this guy is acting like we should stop to steal. Like, how, how do you, what's the tip line? You know, like, what's the threat level, right? We saw after 9-11, it was like threat orange, threat red, all this stuff. I don't, you're probably more familiar. We had the deck of cards of like, these are the terrorists we're going after. And right now it's 35% of the country, right? So that's why it's a little bit harder, but that's why we're, we're anxious to say, John, I think you could accurately say, like I personally could pinpoint Trump directly to the reason those guys were there. A lot of people who were defending themselves, remember, a lot of lawyers were saying Trump told them to come, right? This isn't on my client. If we can make those ties, obviously it takes much more evidence and much more concrete smoking gun evidence to to, to indict a, a former president or somebody of that stature. But if we all know the truth, and if there's no consequences, then like like I asked you before, your fabric of the country is in real bad shape. If there is no consequences to the rules being broken, right now one of the things so going with the commemoration and the anniversary is if you had a chance, and I will tell everybody if you haven't already, go find it on YouTube. Biden came out the gate. He was angry. Angry Biden kept it real. He shots fired. Trump, never mentioned his name. But I mean, he called him a loser. He, you know, he he really um, raised the level. I was, you know, really happy. You know, I had some friends who were far, part of the do something era, and I had to check them. Who were like, you know, how come he never said anything before? I think you pick and choose your spots. I think mm -hmm. that you know, and you and I have talked about, you know, you and I know, and it seems like it's bubbling up. And I'm glad the January sixth commission here is, but you know, remember, I'm still saying. We need to do all that and at the same time be singing the praises on what we got with infrastructure, what we could still possibly get with Build Back Better, what we hope to get with voting rights. You got a lot of different things. So I know a lot of people are demanding more action and everything else, but they should realize that most of those people, my brother, he's not worried about that stuff. He's more worried about how he's going to pay his mortgage. He's worried about his retirement. He's worried about his health care. But man, I, it was at the right time. So I guess I want you to comment on two things. One, the overall speech, and then two, you know, do you, you know, is that what you wanted every day or is it more effective? Because we didn't hear it every day from Biden. Did that, did that actually add to the impact 
of what it is because he was he's not sitting here talking about it every day. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a saying. I don't know exactly where it came from. I know it from kind of the movie in the rap world. It's like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Sometimes when I'm disciplining my nieces, it's like, I know you're crying, but I know this is what's best for you. To me, that's what this was for Biden. I think Biden waited for this day to go this hard about this topic specifically because it's, it is, it is a stance, right? I think Biden wanted to move on. He wanted to get things done and he didn't want to have his first year all, all be about fighting and, and trying to go after the former guy, right? On some level you have to politic and you can't worry about the, the guy before. I think what ended up happening was they were playing with the truth too much. The right. When they talk about it was just a terrorist event, it was nonviolent, there was no weapons, Ashley Babbitt is a hero, um, the Dems are overplaying this, Benghazi, Benghazi, right? When when the right started doing that, which we all knew was coming, there's a viral video of Jake Tapper on January 6th last year saying, remember how you feel right now because the right, there's going to be a push to change how you how this looks in history. I think the right played around too much. And Biden was like, maybe the left was like, no, no, no. We, we have to stake our claim on what this day was. We cannot let the right take away what this day means. The way, the same way they look at Benghazi, the same way they try to portray the Black Lives Matter protests as this violent kind of uprising and stuff like that. They try to change the narrative on everything. And I think this was Biden's way to say, enough. We know the truth. Ted Cruz knows the truth. Uh, Lindsey Graham knows the truth. All these people know the truth. They're just lying to you. And that's the rhetoric we needed. And that's why I was happy that Biden went uh, full ether and, 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 and went at Trump for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Does that I, make sense? I, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, there were people who were taking offense saying that, you know, Lindsey Graham played the game and, and everyone got bent out of shape. But I think what's history, what history is going to do and even in the short term, depending on how the January 6th commission works, this is not a both sides issue. And this is also where the only way that we can heal is to name it. You know, if you and I had a dispute and we had some tension, the only way we could come together and work together is what? Acknowledging the pain that one or both of us caused each other, right? If one was more responsible than the other, then that person needs to... This isn't a both sides issue. The Democrats, the the, the country... Let's, let's not even make it a Democrat-Republican. Let's make it the Republican versus America. It's not versus Democrat versus Republican. It's the Republican Party and, and the far right, which is, is where the Republican Party rests, against America. And they basically posed a threat to our country. They almost derailed... Uh, the peaceful trend they didn't almost they actually did derail the peaceful uh transition of power and it wasn't both sides didn't do it it's one side and i guess there's a realization and you know it's january we don't know what november will look like but maybe their reaction is also like you know what if this narrative continues this can be potentially fatal for us politically uh long term and possibly short term and I wonder if that's a realization. You know, sometimes when you see how people react, obviously when the Republicans are very good at pushback to begin with, but I also wonder if they're fearing that um, while everybody's talking their mess about how things are going to turn, you know, in, in November, maybe they're legitimately scared that if this narrative takes hold, it's going to be fatal to the Republican Party. Uh, I don't know if they think that way because... They, they know their people are going to come out, right? I don't, I don't know if this is going to cost them voters, right? I, I think they're much rather try to enrage people more than they try to try to hide the truth because they're good at that, right? I will say that there's people who who just believe in it, the, the, like people. Matt Gates didn't say, you know what, January sixth was not an insurrection; it was just a peaceful protest. He didn't say that, but I don't know if you saw his comments that went viral the other day. He literally said, we're proud of what happened. You call it an insurrection? Cool. He said, literally, we're proud of it. So I, I don't. I think they will pivot. I do agree with you, but I think they pivot into, and so what if it was? So what if we try to steal it? What are you going to do about it? 
they I think they're going to lean more that way than they're going to lean, hey, guys, we need to chill. We saw Ted Cruz grovel, grovel and snivel on Tucker Carlson saying, hey, guys, I'm, I'm sorry I used the word terrorist. Please forgive me. Please don't hate me. We They they still hate him, by the way. I don't know if you saw that video of January 6th where they were looking for him in his papers, right? So I don't know if they pivot away as much as they lean into it and be like, yeah, and we'll do it again too. What are you going to actually do about it? I think that's what their base wants, and I think they're going to lean into that personally. Do you, I don't know if you agree or not. but I agree, but I also remember the one thing I've said and I still maintain. I think their base is shrinking. I think that's the one thing, though, too. 100%. When, 100%. when we talk about how their base is not abandoning them, it's really weird. Yeah, their base is not abandoning them, but people are abandoning their base, right? It, 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 it's, it's that's, that's one of the challenges. But, um, you know, we're going to have a very interesting week. You know, they, they want Pence to go ahead. You know, some of the things that happened while we were on break is they've had, they've asked Jim Jordan, and also the other uh, was was it um, Jim Banks who who was they, they asked they've asked two members of the Republican caucus to to testify and it's weird one of the things I don't know and I'd like to talk to a parliamentarian I don't know I'm not sure if it's parliamentarian or someone who knows the rules you know they, there's been the question about well do they subpoena them and what happens but you know how house rules are house rules and they're kind of hard to understand. Part of me wonders, do they need a subpoena? Meaning, if a committee of Congress asks you to testify and you don't, do they even have to leave and go into the Justice Department or other people to force a subpoena? Or are there rules that can be, are there, you know, mechanisms within Congress itself that don't require them to go that route? That, that would be a very fascinating discussion to have. Yeah, that would be interesting. I wonder if that kind of applies to Pence a little bit as well. There's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of this argument that remember Pence has these photos, right? The official photos of that day where he was hiding and didn't want to go in the Secret Service limo and he was trying to get away, and he doesn't want those photos to come out, but they belong to us. So I wonder if there's a little bit of hey, you don't actually own this stuff for you to call privilege on. This actually belongs to us. And we want this information. So I wonder if that applies to uh, Jim Jordan or whoever else they're going to call. I assume they're going to call all of them at some point, right? Ted Cruz, Hannity, we've seen. I think they called Hannity, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they want to talk to Hannity. So I don't know. I, I I hope that this just is sooner rather than later. I, I just I don't want it to be like, if I'm not mistaken, they're not going to talk to Ben until like June. Like, it just feels like we can't slow walk this, although there there might be. I don't know if there's ways around it. I just worry that we're gonna we're just gonna run out of time, basically. Now, um, you know, one of the things that happened on January six was Trump had gone ahead and planned on having a press conference, and he canceled it. So part of me wonders, uh, why did he cancel it? You know, one of the things that many of us were concerned about, and even the press, some members of the press implied that this was how they'd like to approach it, but I think some other members said, no, don't approach it this way. They were talking about having a split screen moment. And a lot, there was a lot of backlash towards any members of the media who referenced that. And I think, you know, some people feel that Trump may have backed out because the media may have told them, hey, we're not going to carry you guys simultaneously. Um, but then others wondered if there's legal exposure. What do you, between what you've read and what your gut tells you, why do you think Trump went ahead and canceled his speech on January 6th? If, <clears throat> that's a good question. And the reason I say that is because there's probably a combination of a lot of things. And the way that I say that is there's probably some legal exposure. I think Trump is tacky, but I also think he he, he believes in he, that he's tasteful. The reason I say that is because, remember famously, he was going to have that uh, Tulsa um rally on Juneteenth and he's like and everybody was so pissed and he's like all right cool 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 I'll push it back to June 20th so although Trump likes to kind of quote-unquote kick a hornet's nest I think he'll try to avoid it and him having a, a rally take place during the January 6th kind of moment of silence event that the Democrats were doing probably was bad optics for him this also came right after the Hannity thing right like Hannity's Hannity was asked and an hour later, Trump kind of canceled this event. So my guess is people around him were like, yo, just chill. 
Like you could do another rally and say whatever you want to say. Maybe just avoid this day. It'll be less of a headache for you. So my guess is that he just thought it was probably more of a headache than he probably wanted. Although he, from what I understand reporting is he was super like pissed at Biden's speech. And my guess is he really wanted to get out there and, and fire shots back. But it was too late at that point. I think he released four statements that day. And that's the best part about it is he has to. You know what, you know what that tells me is. The first statement seemed like they pre-planned it because there was things in there that Biden didn't actually say. And I wonder if, if they pre-planned it and then Trump's like, no, no, I want to say this too. And you just kept firing off statements. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's interesting to be back. You know, they, they really didn't do much business last week. Uh, they'll start doing business this week on both the House and the Senate. And one of the things that they've talked about, there seems to be a lifeline um, – for voting rights, you know, basically Schumer laid down the gauntlet saying we're going to move by MLK Day. And I think, you know, now that's not a guarantee that it's going to pass. I think he's fed up and he wants to get people on the record. And if Manchin and Cinema want to play their games, let them wear the jacket. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, and we're also hearing, at least I've heard or read that, you know, realistically, build back better still in play, but it's probably going to, it's probably going to be stretched out till March to get it done. Um, just so you know, uh, they did announce that the uh, State of the Union will be March 1st. So these are mm-hmm. all things that are in play that are happening. And it'll be very fascinating to see how um, this carries out. But wh- what was your reaction when you started hearing about Schumer being more aggressive and trying to push with uh, voting rights uh, by MLK Day? Uh, do you think it's just going to be uh, a chance to put Manchin Cinema on the record? Or do you think we'll actually get anything done? So this is where I'm going to defer to you and ask a couple questions because as I, 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 I'm with you on this political podcast weekly and I still don't understand what, what's at stake here. Is there, so I'm going to throw multiple questions at you and you could kind of divvy it up. Has there been bills in the house that have passed that are on the Senate? That's one. Two, if that's a no, is Schumer, because I know sometimes it, like the, the rec, like the bill, not the infrastructure bill went from Senate to the House first. So is there stuff the Senate could do before the House could do? And then my third question is anything that they do, does it need 60 in the Senate or are they, are they planning to break the filibuster and then vote for a simple majority? And then my last question is if they do break the filibuster, does it take 60 to break the filibuster or just a simple majority? So I'm just going to throw all that on you and let you unpack well, that. Well, here's the funny. Okay. So there's a few things going on here. Um, there's two bills that have passed the House uh, that are in the Senate. Now, quite frankly, um, if there's negotiations, what may what could very well happen will be the Senate will either pass stuff as is or they'll pass something different and then it has to go back to the uh, House. That's the first thing when it comes to the bills. Is one of those the John Lewis Rolling Race Act? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, okay. there's, there's, there's two bills there. The second element that is in play here is the house rules now here's where it's funny um the house rules are set by a simple majority so the house rules have been voted on to keep the filibuster in place but it only takes a simple majority not to break a filibuster but to make a rule to either you know do a carve out so so what i'm saying is if you want to get away with the filibuster overall, um, it only takes fifty-one votes to do that. If all Dems plus, a, and all and but and and also you can you know as is the case, you can even do even do a carve out saying you know what this is a special circumstance, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to make a rule for this one time or limited time in which we're going to not break the filibuster. We're just going to say that this is not going to be required here. Right. So the the, the right. Senate the Senate rules uh, would just could simply be uh, written by a simple majority, uh, but and this is where Manchin and Cinnamon. This is going to sound right, and I'm going to basically contradict myself. This is where they're both right and wrong. They're right in principle. They're right in that we should not if we make rules. We shouldn't always be changing the rules to get with what we want. We say if we're going to make rules at the beginning of a Congress or be, you know beginning of a term, we should probably hold hold on to them. 
but there are tons of exceptions to the rule and just so you know they have already made those exceptions three or four times for any number of things i think for the debt ceiling right so what you have is I think that I think that there's no excuse not to break the break the uh, filibuster to, or to do a carve out to get some of the stuff done, but I also think that there is a strong argument for making and and changing rules to just you know overall because you're not getting your way. It's it, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, and I also know that and this is something you and I both talk about. If the shoe were on the other foot, the Republicans would not be as respectful of the institution. They would not be institutionalists. They would do what they need to do, as evidenced by them not giving Merrick Garland a hearing, as evidenced by them making, you know, certain rules, you know, all of a sudden there's this, oh, we're not going to vote in the president's last few months, and then all of a sudden uh, Ginsburg dies, and they just found a way to, to, to forget it. So um, I will tell you that, the most BS argument is the argument that if we do this, Republicans will do the same when they're in power. They're going to do the same when they're in the power, even if we don't do it. So that's that's a BS argument. But I also think that there is something about respecting the institution. I, I completely buy into that, but I just think that they need to be more flexible as to when and when they don't adhere to that. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, So actually, you missed one. The voting, the bills on the floor, they need sixty. They do and don't. They all they have to do is do a rule change. If they, if they, they, they okay. can make, they can make a, they as if 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 the if the rules are not, if the rules are not altered, yes. Okay. If the rules are not right. altered, so, yes. So here's what I'll say. I don't particularly care about this Republican argument anymore. They they are changing the rules to do whatever they want, so we shouldn't cater to them at all in this case. But I, here's what I will say. For Manchin and Cinema who want to hype up the institutions, who want to say that we have to rely on the institutions, we have to rely on history, you're not going to have them anymore. If If Republicans decide to just steal elections, what are the institutions then? What are your actual institutions that are not going to stop them? So... We need to get rid of this argument and we have to pass voting rights legislation right away. The, the reason I know is there I'm a sports player, right? Or I used to be. You watch wh- where your weaknesses are. Watch how the other team plays you. When the other team plays you, they'll tell you what your weaknesses are. And with the, when Mitch McConnell says, it's, it's crazy to think that Republicans will just overpower the people and say, we're not going to choose who you chose. When he says that, I don't know if you saw that this week, John. He came out and he's like, there's no way that any Republican legislator is going to forget the will of the voter. When he says that, that means that that, that's exactly what they're going to do. So as far as I'm concerned, that's what their game plan is. And you got to hope that these bills, I don't, I I do want to read them, but you got to hope that these bills combat that because they're not actually planning to win elections. They're just planning to say, no, 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 you guys don't actually voted for him. We're just going to change your choice anyways. That's what they're planning on doing. So that's what we have to fight. Right. And, and like I said, I I think that the, I think the merit of, I think that there's merit and people won't like this. There's merit in the, in the mansion cinema argument, but it should not, that, that, that should guide how we break the rules. What I'm saying is we should break the rules. We should alter the rules. We should do what we need to do. And we should, the whole time we're doing it, we need to be sensitive. I've always said something, uh, you know, I think I've said to in, in the classroom. I said, you can't break the rules till you know the rules. Because think about it, just in filmmaking alone, you know how you were taught to do everything. And you know how many times the rules that you were taught you break. But you know why you break them and you go back to them. That's how they should treat this. They should say, look, we're going to go ahead and we're going to change and break the rules. But we understand what we're doing and therefore we're going to, you know, do it in a manner. Now, I don't want to say that's not reversible, but I mean, you get what I'm saying is that they should yeah. be guided by the the issues that Manson Cinema raised are valid, and that shouldn't keep them from changing the rules or altering the rules 
but it should guide how they do change and alter the rules, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. There should basically be guardrails, right? It should just be guardrails for you to not to get out of pocket too much. Um, it should meet the moment. Right now, we need to meet the moment, which is they're planning to steal elections, and we have to... Your historic... If you think <clears throat> breaking the filibuster is historic, you're meeting the moment because what they're planning to do is just as historic. So, yeah, I honestly don't know. Do we know? I don't want to make this a San, cinema mansion kind of uh, fest, but are they just anti against the the bills or are they anti against breaking the filibuster specifically? They have in both cases have indicated that they support. Well, especially with voting rights. They have indicated that they support both, that there are more rules. Now, when it comes to the Build Back Better, but don't forget, they've already altered Build Back Better because Build Back Better, they don't need to break any rules for Build Back Better because those are in reconciliation and they only do need 51. So they, you know, they've already placed Build Back Better in a box in which they're, which is filibuster proof, right? So, mm-hmm. and I remember recently I even had to check somebody on social media who was just saying, we need to get rid of the filibuster so we can pass Build Back Better. Build Back Better ain't got nothing to do with the filibuster because it's in reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, there they're just a little bit, I don't know, you know, I'm not really buying their excuses so much on that. But with voting rights, they claim to be where we need them to be on policy. It's that they're uh, pushing back on breaking the rules, breaking or changing the rules to do it. Gotcha. I understand that. I wonder if we could get, I don't, I don't know if you have any Rolodex, a, a policy expert. I also wonder how much does Biden has unilaterally to do stuff. I know he can't pass the bills, but I wonder what he could do executive privilege wise to be like, to get the, I know the DOJ is like suing certain states for doing, for voting rights and, and violations and stuff like that. So I also wonder what Biden can do to be like, Hey guys, you guys are not just going to steal this election. So that that'll be something interesting. I, I actually don't know how much power he has on the state level, but but federally, obviously, the over uh, uh, subsides the, the the state. So it'll be interesting to see what we can learn there if Biden has any power unilaterally. Yes. Now, um, one of the other things that popped up this week, this past week, was the disappearance of Ron DeSantis, and then he came out and. Did you see, is, is that, some of us think he may have COVID because he was strictly struggling through that one press conference. And then on top of it, his Surgeon General is a whack job. And evidently there were some tests that they just let go bad. DeSantis is not having a good week. You know, as a, as a, I don't know, how, the, the Fat Club, as, as, as the, the ambassador of the team mascot for the Fat Club, I will say, you get us up a flight of stairs, we're going to act like we're out of breath. We're going to definitely be out of breath. But this seemed a little bit different, I will say that. But he seemed, I don't want to do this because they do it to Biden all the time. We did it for Trump. I don't want to examine the dude off a video. But him disappearing for two weeks telling me that he had COVID, that just tells me that. Because if he was by his wife's side and stuff, they would just come out and say it. Because that's always, not to make it political, but that's always good PR that he's by his wife's side and everything like that. So there's no reason for them not to say that. He clearly probably had COVID. Also, I will say this. I don't want to shame him for having COVID. Like, we need to break this stigma that people having COVID should be, like, red scarlet letter on them. Like, look, a lot of us a lot of us will get COVID or had COVID or know people who had COVID. So we need to kind of get out of this kind of stigma, vaccinated or not vaccinated, right? But I will say, if you really don't think it's a big deal, you should come out and say it then. How about that, DeSantis? How about that? Be, be a real leader and come out and be transparent instead of always criticizing everybody else. He's also vaccinated and tells people not to get vaccinated. He also, uh, I'm sure, has a booster and tells people, you know, don't wear a mask and you're fine and and all that stuff. So, no, I totally get it. We should definitely hold him accountable and we should definitely hold him to be transparent and everything like that. Um, I just, I just think like, come out and say it and 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 own up to it as opposed to trying to. But we know the Republicans do this, right? Trump's famous quack doctor who said he was the most fit president in the history of the United States and the famous uh, secret trip to to the hospital in the middle of the night. So look, they know that they think they appear weak when they have medical uh, issues. 
And the only thing I don't want to shame is that. Like, it, it doesn't, it's not weak that you get a colonoscopy, Donald. It's all right. You know what I mean? We should urge people to get colonoscopies, but we should definitely shame them for lying and, 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 and keeping it in secret for sure. So, you know, one of the things that has been really frustrating about the COVID situation is right now we're dealing with Omicron. Our hospitals are getting full. More people are getting it. Now they're saying it's not, they're saying it's mild, but nonetheless, it's still wreaking havoc on our hospitals and they're filling up. And I guess I'm really frustrated because we don't want to shame DeSantis, some say, but if he got COVID, he got COVID because he was living recklessly. And I can definitely shame that. And I think one of the problems that I truly have is when we think about when the vaccines started taking hold, so if we could go back to April of last year, I really wish that once we started hitting certain plateaus, that we had continued those protocols for at least two, maybe even six months, because had we done that, we'd be closer to normal now. I think the, the, the inclination to go back to normal once things start looking good is why we are constantly still dealing with it. And maybe the next time we hit a good plateau, don't go back to normal and just ride it, you know, lock it down for another two to three months. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more, but I, I think we're going to need to push even more. And I think they're worried about the whole medical freedom and the pushback on all that kind of conversation. But I bet you if you made people who are flying domestically get vaccinated, you might have a little bit of a push here into the good good side. If you sent people masks, kept indoor mask mandates regardless, right? Um, and now that the summer's coming, although the summer doesn't kill the virus, it helps people be outdoors and stuff like that. So, um, if you kept mask mandates longer and you made more people get vaccinated by, um, Hey, if you have 15 employees in your office, all of them should be vaccinated to fly domestically. Cool. You want to go to Tampa Bay four times a year. Cool. You should definitely be vaccinated. I, I think, more mandates are it's, it's what's needed here. And of course, vaccinating the globe. I do agree with you that we tend to do two steps forward, one step back, and it always seems like we're in the same place. Uh, Omicron, I think they were a little surprised with, but granted, we need to do more to kind of push back on, on, on the anti-vaxxers and, and get people to realize that we're just going to keep doing this. We're just going to keep doing this until we get out, we, we change what we're doing, if that makes sense. Like, we keep doing the same thing, getting the same results. We're going to have to switch it up on some level. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm just, I, I get really worried. You know, as I said before, I, I, my father's going to have a medical procedure this week. And at his age, in his late 80s, um, it's not it's not unheard of that he sometimes has a complication that may send him back to the hospital. And one, not good, hopefully he doesn't have any complications. But two, um, if for some reason he does, I want there to be beds available to treat him and, and everything else. So, you know, I, I just, I get really frustrated, um, because there's so much stuff that we can't avoid. There's so much stuff that's beyond our control that the stuff that's within our control, we have to do a better job of managing. We have to do a better job of following those rules, you know, in Chicago and Cook County, uh, we now have the rule that if you go to a restaurant, you have to have your vaccination card and or uh, a negative test. And I see some people, it's funny, some restaurants are, are, are complying easily, some are pushing back. And I think one of the reasons why you, you want to comply is, I don't know about you, and I know you've been really strict, but I'm not going to patronize a restaurant that's not going to check my vac vaccination status. I, I, if I'm going to go out, I'm a little nervous right now about going out entirely, but if I'm going to go out, I want to do go to a place that, that is following protocols and taking the cautions. I'm not going to go to a reckless place. And there's some mayors, one of them is a, a friend of mine, who are um, ignore, in the suburbs who are ignoring the rule. And um, I think that they're not doing, they're, they're maybe scoring political points, but they're not providing any kind of upside to their businesses because I can tell you right now, I'm not going to patronize any of the businesses in those communities because, you know, because they're not going to be safe. Well, not only that, John, but granted, we're not, we're not probably ever going to shut down, shut down ever again. But the longer we keep the pandemic here, the longer that your business is going to be suffering, right? Restaurants 
have just a profit margin that's hard to deal with without a pandemic, let alone a lot of customers not coming into your restaurant. So not only that, but like, what if your employees get COVID? What if your head chef gets COVID? What if your couple servers get COVID and all of a sudden you're short staff and you have to close anyways, right? So you can score as many political points as you want. You can disagree with vaccine mandates all you want. But the fact is that there's a reason that they exist for hundreds of years is because they work, right? So, and there's a few people on my timeline who, as soon as January 3rd hit and those new rules hit, um, a few of them said, oh, this restaurant that I visit every day definitely did check my vaccine card. And then somebody was like, I'm not vaccinated and I knew the waiter, so wink, wink. And there's stuff like that that's happening as well. So I am frustrated with a business that might believe in the vaccine mandates but have employees who don't. So it's very complicated and very great, but we're also headed in the right direction. I believe that this is the way to go nationally as well. It's just the vaccine mandates across the board is what's needed. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's, it's depressing. It's disappointing, um, but uh, you know, it's crazy. Uh, one of the things before we go, uh, we need to talk NFL and Antonio Brown. Uh, I don't know about you, but the way the week played out, I thought homeboy is bugging out he's wilding but then the the stuff that came out about his potential injury i think he i mean i think he started the week out as the lowercase goat not the greatest of all time but the the goat in this situation and i think i don't want to call him our hero but it seems like as time played out he might not be the whack job bad guy in the situation that he started the week out as what, what's been your reaction to the way that the Antonio Brown situation uh, has played out. Obviously, we don't know everything, and there's probably conversations that have been had that we are not privy to, that we never will be privy to. But I will say that the benefit of the doubt does not belong to Antonio Brown. So even in his story, it's hard to believe it because he's just had a long history of just lying and making up things, right? He just was coming off a suspension for lying about his vaccination status. So... Do I believe his story entirely? I don't. Also, this is the NFL. You're going to have a hard time in week 17 of the NFL finding a guy who isn't hurt. Now, I'm not a tough guy, suck it up type of guy. I'm really not. I don't believe that if a player feels like he's hurt, that he should be thrown out there. But the fact of the matter is, is like Antonio prides himself on playing and playing through injuries. And so there were a lot of guys. So he had eight catches or he had like three catches in that game. It wasn't like he was like limping on one leg. It seemed pretty fine when he was running off the field, right? So do I, was he hurt? Probably, of course. He was definitely rehabbing his, his ankle. But at the same time, why the third quarter? Like you could have did that in the first quarter, the second quarter. You could have did it at halftime. And there's also reports that he was yelling at Tom Brady at halftime to get him more targets. He was upset that Gronk had more targets in the first half. So... He might have been hurt, and he might have been telling the truth, but I just don't believe it because his, his track record speaks for itself. Right. Well, it, it is, it's going to be a fascinating uh, way to end. But but I also think, real quick, to your point, which you shared about him yelling at Tom Brady and everything else, I think if there's some validity to a story or not, I'm sure that that will come up because while there's definitely communication between him and his coach, I'm sure teammates – uh, pro or con will, will, will have a story to tell. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. And also, I don't know if you know, he did a, he did a podcast explaining his side and he completely just shitted on his entire team. And he said he was the best receiver there. Everybody else was a bum and he was getting longer paid. So I'll take that for what it's worth with Antonio Brown these days. Yes. So on that note, uh, this is John signing off. And this is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us guys. 